Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 17. We get to begin this powerful chapter in the book of John this week. Jesus' prayer. Prayer not only for his disciples, but prayer for all of us who follow him. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Father in heaven, I do pray that you'll guide us into your words and that you'll motivate us into action, that our lives might indeed bring glory to you. For I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This happened to be one of those weeks that you and I have from time to time that I sort of felt like that little ball in the pinball machine. It's just sort of banging back and forth from one thing to another, maybe almost like a roller coaster with highs and lows. A week ago, I was in Idaho, and it's always a little bit of um, disorientation to sort of hop up there into that life and then to hop back down here. And so as we're driving back down, it's sort of I have to remember all the things that I had left and the things that I need to do. And, and that makes it kind of a rough week. And then on top of that, we're driving home Monday and we get to read and hear about all of this thing with Jimmy Swaggart, which is totally depressing kind of thing, the way to begin a week. And then on Tuesday, uh, we got home Monday night and on Tuesday, Jan went to the doctor for uh, four or five hours of examination before surgery. And, and they spent most of the time reminding her and telling her all of the serious ramifications of what they could find during the surgery. And so instead of thinking of something very minor uh, Tuesday by noon. We're thinking of all the horrible things that could be and could happen, and it was sort of depressing. And yet, Tuesday was Janet's birthday, and so we went out and had the birthday presents and, and all of that kind of thing. I had to call up some folks in Tulare on Tuesday and tell them I wasn't going to speak to them last Friday night because of the surgery and all, and I hate uh, canceling out on something late like that, but I needed to do that. So it was a pretty depressing way to begin a week. Well, by Wednesday morning, we got a couple of calls that were really kind of exciting. Uh, got a call from one um, producer that wanted us to do a TV interview for our new book, and that's kind of exciting. And then got a call a half hour later from our publisher saying that uh, the mom's book was doing well. It's been out four weeks, and it's going into the second printing. And focus on the family. James Dobson has just purchased 15,000 copies of it to use later in the year. and and so that's kind of exciting, yet we're kind of worried about the surgery and kind of depressed about the swagger thing, sort of excited about this. And that's the way the week's been, bouncing up and down and up and down and almost as if someone else is in control of things. Some weeks go that way, some months go that way, some people's whole lives seem to happen and go that way. There are times when you feel like a helpless sort of game piece being manipulated by other factors. So what happens to your spiritual life? What are you doing and what should you be doing in the midst of all of that? 
There are times when we have weeks like that, we need to remember why we're here on earth. We've been put here on earth to bring glory to God. How can we achieve that glory? Fortunately, glory can be brought to God whether our times are good or bad, whether we're depressed or full of joy. And what I want us to see as we remind ourselves about the glory Jesus spoke of in John chapter 17 is there are some specific things scriptures tell us we can be about doing that bring glory to God. How do you glorify God? Let me give you ten places to start. Number one, smart prayers can bring glory to God. John chapter 14 verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The correct kind of prayers then will bring glory to God. You want to bring more glory to God? Continue to pray. Smart prayers. Smart prayers, I think, have that primary focus on the expansion of God's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Smart prayers always center around the expansion of God's kingdom. Smart prayers always are spoken in Jesus' name. That is, they are the kinds of things that Jesus would ask for. There's a very familiar verse in James chapter 5, verse 16, that talks about the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And I want to remind you that it says the effective prayer. Smart prayer. Now, what does smart prayer look like? Well, I think we see an example in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. If you'll remember that scene, James and, I mean, uh, John and Peter had been arrested and thrown into prison and been called before the, before the court for preaching the gospel. And finally they were released. And when they were released, they went back to the church. And together the church offered up a magnificent prayer there in Acts chapter 4. And in the midst of that prayer, here's what they said. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence while thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. What are they asking for? They're asking, Lord, we've gone through tough times. Peter and John have been arrested. We've been told not to speak in your name. Obviously, we're going to go ahead and speak. But Lord, we want your kingdom to expand in Jesus' name. Smart prayers bring glory to God. A second way to bring glory to God is through proper good works. You'll remember that passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Good works are meant to be seen. Now, we have a phobia with good works sometimes. Good works never lead to salvation, but Christians who know Christ should have their life crammed full of good works. Why? Because they bring glory to God if they're done properly. That's God's plan for us. Remember Ephesians 2.10? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what do good works done properly look like? Well, you might take it as an example in Acts chapter 9, verse 39. 
There's that lady by the name of Dorcas who lives in the town of Joppa who has died. And Peter has been summoned and he goes over to Joppa and he is there in that upper room with the body and, and the mourners and the people are talking to him. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 39, Peter rose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping, showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was still with them. Proper good works. Dorcas spent a lifetime, at least since her conversion, of making things for needy people. Good works done that brought glory to God. You want to bring glory to God? We need more good works properly done. A third way to bring glory to God is through a fruitful life. John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing much fruit. Bearing fruit, of course, means bringing about spiritual results. Now, what does a fruitful life look like? Let me give one you might not have thought of before. You all know about Paul's uh, conversion on the road to Damascus. You're familiar with that story of uh, how he was headed up there and, and the Lord met him on the way. Why was Paul going to Damascus? Well, Paul was going to Damascus because he heard there were Christians there. There was a church there. There was fellowship there. And he was out to persecute the Christians. He wanted them arrested. He wanted them brought back to Jerusalem for trial. He wanted this Christianity thing to stop. Did you ever ask yourself, how did there get to be Christians in Damascus? Because we're talking about Acts chapter 9. The gospel had barely inched its way up to Samaria. None of the apostles had left Jerusalem yet. Peter had not even preached to Cornelius, who was at least the God-fearer. Nobody had gone off to that Gentile town of Damascus. How did there get to be a church there? Where did they first hear about Jesus? I'll tell you where they first heard about Jesus. Way back in the Gospels, when we learn about Jesus, we see account of how he had come across the lake one time, to the far side of the lake, and there was a man in chains running throughout the tombs. They called him Legion because of the demons. And Jesus cast the demons out of him. And the man Legion begged to go with Jesus and not to have to stay in that place. And Jesus said, no, go back to your own people and tell them what God has done. And the passage in the Bible says that Legion went back to the Decapolis region, that is to the Ten City region, and he told them everything Jesus had done for them. Damascus is one of the Ten Cities. How did they hear about Jesus in Damascus from a man by the name of Legion? First, bringing word of his power. A fruitful life. Ananias, who would uh, deal with uh, Paul and, and Paul's regaining of sight there in Damascus, and all the other Christians in Damascus owed their heritage, if not a direct witness, to a man they call Legion. You see, a fruitful life brings glory to God. A fourth way to bring glory to God is by completing those jobs that God gives us to do. We saw that right here in John, in John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus said, I glorify thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. You and I have been given work to do. When we bring that to completion, we bring glory to God. Paul was well aware of that. He saw his 
uh, saw his life and the life of the followers as something that God has designed a purpose and a plan. He said in Philippians 1, 6, that he was confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And Paul wouldn't be distracted. He would say, this one thing I do, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And at the end of his life, he felt like he had accomplished that goal, that task, that one thing that God had given him to do. And so he told Timothy, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. We need to complete the jobs that God has given us to do. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is meeting with the Ephesians. He had spent uh, much time there, probably more time with the church in Ephesus than any other church. And he had built it up and he had now met with the elders for the last time. And it says there in Acts chapter 20, verse 36 and following, And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word that he had spoken that they should see his face no more. Paul had completed the job that he was given with the church in Ephesus. And that brought glory to God. A fifth way to bring glory to God is the rejoicing over salvation. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, there is the verse that says, And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. The scene is this. The scene is Peter preaching to Cornelius and the other Gentiles. There were some Jewish Christians that had gone with Peter, and none of them were quite sure whether or not God really wanted to save Gentiles as they were, or whether he wanted them to become Jews first and then saved. So they went and they watched, and Peter began to preach his sermon. In the midst of the sermon, the Gentiles, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and others, were converted, and they accepted Christ. And those who witnessed it, what? Rejoiced. And when they rejoiced in the salvation of the Gentiles, they brought glory to God. When the church rejoices over salvation, glory comes to God. The angels rejoice over salvation. You remember what the Bible says. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We are to rejoice over our own salvation. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the Spirit is subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And the church is to rejoice. It is a dramatic, it is an exciting, it is a miraculous thing when God saves even one person. Something totally unexpected in this world, totally undeserved. It should cause rejoicing. When we rejoice over salvation, we bring glory to God. A sixth way to bring glory to God is through correct use of spiritual gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were, the utterance of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What does it look like? The correct use of spiritual gifts? It's Peter using his gifts of preaching, and God is glorified. It's Dorcas using her gifts of serving, and God is glorified. 
It's Paul out there planting new churches and God is glorified. It's Barnabas using his gift of encouragement and God is glorified. It's Priscilla and Aquila using their special gifts of hospitality as the new church forms in their house or their gifts as exhorting as they take Apollos aside and straighten him out on the gospel and send him back out. It is that correct use of spiritual gifts that brings much glory to God. Seventh way to bring glory to God is through the abstaining from immorality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, if you read just that one verse, you'd say, how do you glorify God in that way? Well, he had just said in verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Abstaining from immorality brings glory to God. This means refusing to give in to premarital sex, refusing adultery, refusing homosexuality, refusing perversion, refusing lust, refusing pornography, refusing to hire prostitutes. In our sin-dominated world, I want to say every act of faithfulness brings glory to God. What does abstaining from immorality look like? It means, and it looks like, it looks like Joseph, doesn't it? You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis, there in Potiphar's house, as the chief servant, and the wife of his boss trying to seduce him. And what does it say about Joseph? It says when she caught him by his garment, he turned and fled and went outside. Now, of all of these ways to bring glory to God, you and I will both nod our heads most quickly about abstaining from immorality. We both agree, and surely that would bring glory to God. But friends, if that wasn't the problem, we wouldn't have such disaster this week in our Christian community, would we? It is a problem for leaders and for non-leaders. Abstaining from immorality brings glory to God. An eighth way to bring glory to God is through generous monetary offerings. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Listen carefully. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. Paul is saying to the Corinthians that their generous monetary gift will bring glory to God. Now, let's make it clear, you can't buy glory. Don't think if you give more money that you'll somehow bribe God and you will please Him just because you've given more. You don't bribe God. And some people give for that reason. Some people give for tax purposes. Some people give to impress other people. But when we give out of a correct heart, it does bring glory to God. Don't fail to see that. Because God knows how hard it is for you and I to give up money. And when we can do that with a loving and generous heart, He knows that that comes out of sincerity and it brings Him glory. What does it look like for one to give God glory in such a way? In Acts chapter 4 it says, And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, 
who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of encouragement, owned a tract of land. He sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it brought glory to God. Barnabas, generous offering. The ninth way to bring glory to God is through abounding thanks. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Giving of thanks. Paul wrote a thank you letter. It's called Philippians. He was giving thanks to them for the generosity that they had expressed in supporting his ministry. And at the conclusion of that letter, he said, For I have received everything in full, and have an abundance, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, abounding in thanks, bringing glory to the Father. A tenth way you might want to use to bring glory to God is through sincere repentance. There's a sad little phrase in Revelation chapter 16, verse 9. talks about people who did not repent. It said, and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. Those who refuse to repent hold back glory from God. You see, repentance gives God glory because it shows us the heart of mankind, broken and sorrow, sorry and failed, but trusted. Repentance gives glory to God because it shows the heart of God, forgiving and loving and merciful. Repentance like David in Psalm chapter 51, after his sin with Bathsheba. David said, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners will be converted to thee. And then my tongue will joyfully sing of thy righteousness. Sincere repentance brings glory to God. The public image of Christians was tarnished again this week by incredibly dumb sins of a nationally known personality. But to tell you the truth, the public image of Christians is not nearly as important as the image of Christ. We don't need to spend much time condemning others, but we need to individually push on. We need not restore our good name or anyone else's good name, but we must order our personal lives so as to give maximum glory to our Father in heaven. Because that's what life here on earth is all about. Amen. Amen. Dear Father, it's an amazing thing to think that out of sinful people there could be any glory given to you. And yet, Lord, because of salvation in Christ Jesus, because indeed of his cleansing power and the power of your spirit, it is possible, just possible, for us to bring honor and glory and splendor to you. 
And Lord, we want to do that because you deserve it so. And Lord, we are not nationally known. We are not prominent people. But give us the courage in our own little worlds to live a life in such a way that you receive much glory. For we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.